to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. You're back for another edition of Origins uh, here in the beautiful Line Hotel, Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. This is a show about our food and drink, in this case, uh, where it comes from and where we're headed. Um, I'm really, really fortunate to be joined uh, today by uh, by Chantal Tseng. We have an interesting, there's an interesting moment where our lives, uh, our paths cross, and I want to get to that in a second, but she is a a mainstay of kind of the D.C. beverage scene. Is that fair? Does that sound about right? Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I'm really excited to talk t- to you today about um, your work now. Um, the experience I had at Mockingbird Hill once upon a time a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. But let's start with uh, this incredible career and, and where you started uh, in, in, in beverage, I think, like 18 years ago. Right. Um, it's, it's been a couple decades, I guess. Not quite. Uh, 18 years ago in 2000, I moved to the city, and as a 21-year-old, I found myself falling into the industry like I always did as a kid, picking up odd jobs. Um, I started off making drinks at the X and O Zando Coffee House and kind of got really into the historical side with books and going to cocktail books and researching, researching. I ended up at the Tabard Inn and bartended there and took over their program for about nine years. <clears throat> and that was great. I loved working with the kitchen, the pastry chef, and really like a, a lot of ever-changing menus and seasonality and um, different types of pro- products and foods and to make into cocktails. That's also where I really got into craft cocktailing. Um, before then, I had actually worked at a little wine bar that just was here for a minute. It was like a couple of years. It was the cutest little wine bar in Adams Morgan. And then, and then it went away. <laughs> and that's how I fell in love with wine. And um, yeah, and then after that, Mockingbird Hill. And then now I'm at the reading room of Fetwar Citizen. So that, that's the moment that I wanted to kind of um, uh, <laughs> just take a second. And that was where um, I first met you. And we, I had an incredible night at Mockingbird Hill that still stands out. Oh, that's great. Um, in my mind, it's one of the most enjoyable evenings I've ever passed. <laughs> at a bar and um, we were obviously having a little bit of ham but I really loved about that was that we just kind of put ourselves in your hands and you know I've been here for an event and we had some of our team and um, and we just put ourselves in your hands and you poured cherry for us all night and it was like truly one of the most um, enjoyable experiences I've, I've ever had um, glad to hear it <laughs> yeah. so, and if that's, if that's too much we can uh, we can edit that out I think actually. No, that's, but no. that's great that's great <laughs> So tell me a little bit about sherry, because I think that's where my eyes were, or my, my taste buds, but my palate was opened oh, cool. uh, to sherry, and a lot of it had to do with your appreciation of it. Yes, I'm, I'm a very passionate sherry lover. Uh, I did have a chance to visit Spain a few times, and particularly the sherry region about three times. Um, I fell in love with it through cocktails. The first time I ever made uh, a sherry cocktail, it was kind of mind-blowing. There were just this combination of flavors, and it was just vermouth and sherry and bitters and orange peel. Uh, a cocktail called the Adonis, and just the aromas and the flavor profile, the fact that you had this wine interacting with these herbs and spices, and you had um, just the savor and the sweetness, the savory and the sweetness together, and I was like, there's nothing that tastes like this, and uh, that kind of blew my mind for a while, but working at the Tabard, I had a lot of really busy shifts, and at the end of the night when I was thinking, 
at the beginning of the night, I was thinking, oh, I'll end the night with one of those sherry cocktails. But at the end of the night, I find myself going, I'm not making a cocktail. I'm just going to pour this sherry. And that's kind of where my love started. It just became very natural just to my palate. Then I decided to learn a lot more about it. Um, I also decided to learn more about wine in general, got my um, certified educator. Well, that was through the, through, the, through the Consejo de Regulador of Sherry Country. But before that, I also became a certified sommelier through the Court of Master's Homs, just to get well-rounded with wine. And, um, and now I can teach. Now I can teach people about Sherry and spread that love I'm glad when it passes on. <laughs> I was, espe- I, I am too, and I was especially glad that night because you, you, I, it felt like your knowledge was employed to um, add and enrich our experience. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think there is also a tendency in our business sometimes to use this incredible knowledge that a lot of psalms have and um, and and mixologists have now, and 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 it can feel a little oppressive or sometimes. But all I felt that night was like this is so much fun. And it cool. was like, and I learned a lot, but I also just, you know, and I think there's this balance that we have to strike sometimes. And if you want to know more, you, you know, someone like you is there to provide the knowledge. But ultimately, right. it was in the service I thought of, I experienced of this great time. Very um, nice. Very nice. But yep. you've transitioned and we can, uh, um, <laughs> and now you're someone who's really using that knowledge in a lot of really cool ways. Right, and one of the coolest things that I wanted to talk to you about is and ask you about is, is kind of the literary connections that you make between, or, or the, maybe the inspirations that you find. Oh yeah, definitely. I'm a huge fan of reading these days. I have a, I think you know, like in the reading room of Petworth Citizen, I, I run a series called Literary Cocktails, where I'll read a book a week and then create a cocktail menu just purely subjectively inspired by what I read. So I'm somebody who is, um, I'm also obsessed. My personal obsession, I guess you could say, is like this region, the ingredients that come from it. Uh, I think almost by necessity, I've had to dig in a little bit. I'm not necessarily uh, historical in what I'm trying to create, a recreation of you know dining in the colonial uh, era or something. But I find a lot of useful information, you know, especially if I'm digging back on ingredients that were grown uh, in and around the Chesapeake right, uh, right. 200 years ago. Do you, do you have, is there a historical... Uh, aspect or quality to what you do? Are you inspired by history, the history of the drinkways of, of D.C.? or? Oh, all the time. I mean, down to the fact that, you know, the Ricky, which is a classic cocktail, which was created in Washington, D.C. in the 1800s, um, inspired by a lobbyist, which is so very D.C. you got to tell us that story. <laughs> oh, that's, um, what was that, like, I think it was 1880s, there was a um, Colonel Joe Ricky, and he became like this lobbyist, and he became known for uh, wanting his bourbon, which was started off as bourbon and then became popularized with gin, um, getting well, actually he would just get it on the rocks, and then some bartender at the shoe, old shoemakers would decide to like spruce it up, and then they kind of mocked him a little, and they kept calling this this <laughs> cocktail, which they added a lime to. By the way, a lime at the time was really exotic, right? It's not like in the 1800s, in the 1880s in particular, the adding lime to drinks was like not something that was what we now kind of see as everyday and pretty common, it was, it was the exotic ingredient. And so this, this drink kind of started happening and he was getting, he was a little bit, you know, sort of pawned into this name and became famous and it became famous with gin, but originally he was just a whiskey drinker, but became like the Colonel Joe Ricky drink, you know. And I could have told that better, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And I, I'm kind of both... In th- uh, you know, fascinated, but also a little disappointed that it was a, a, a lobbyist that got his yeah, well, 
got it named yeah. after him. But <laughs> anyway, um, so now you've kind of transitioned and you're doing a lot of things. Uh, tell us about the Petworth, uh, the reading room. Yeah, sure. So the reading room is this small area in the back of Petworth Citizen, which is this neighborhood bar. And it's it started off as just a lending library. There's bookshelves. Everything has been donated. People drop off books all the time. And so folks can kind of wander through, look at the shelves, pick a book, take it with them, bring another book in. Uh, it's not something we police. It's all just completely donated. And uh, a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago, Paul Rupert, the owner of the Petworth Citizen, the reading room, as well as the Upshur Street bookstore, um, had asked me if I was interested in, in expanding and doing some kind of a cocktail program back there. And so... And so I said yes because I really want to get to. I really want to read more. It's <laughs> a win-win. Um, yeah, it's a great space. And so I, my program for just literary cocktails is, is on weekends. So on Fridays and Saturdays, there's a new menu every week. And there, what's any any of the late latest greatest the hits, <laughs> inspirations? Oh, always. Every week is it. My mind's in a new place. I'm currently reading this novel by Naomi Alderman um, called The Power which was, got some good buzz and I think became a bestseller a couple years ago. I know that it was on Obama's reading list at one point. Um, and it's, it feels great. I've been also reading a lot of novels, which unfortunately include a lot of, hist- a lot of like, uh, violence towards women. So reading this new novel, it's enjoyable. <laughs> have you gotten any... So what, what cocktails have come out of your recent reading? Um, well, that menu is to be, so I haven't ah. finished that yet. Last week I was reading... Um, was I reading? <laughs> well, the week before, I was reading Shoba Rao's uh, Girls Burn Brighter, and she's got this Indian background, so I was using um, like tur- turmeric in a tonic. I was using chai spices and making sort of uh, sort of mango lassi-inspired concoctions with alcohol, and also I make mocktails, too. Like what? Oh, that'll change every week. So sometimes I'll put together um, yogurt and mango juice and mint and nutmeg. and Or sometimes I'll use <clears throat> um, a soda or and a tea blend. This last week I made something tropical with um, pineapple, mango, and... Uh, let's see, I can't even remember. Every weekend is a completely different You're menu. Different. <laughs> I, I know the feeling, believe me. Well, let's let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk okay. about. I guess is it fair to call it your day job now? Is with working with natural wine. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, a distributor here in D.C. Right. And right. So um, uh, for about ten years now, there's this wine distributor. Local, actually, they're based out of Charlottesville, but they distribute in D.C. and Virginia. And they're called Williams Corner Wine, and they just celebrated their ten years anniversary this last May. Just sourcing. Um, Sustainable, organic, biodynamic, natural wines from France, Italy, Spain, California, New York, Virginia. There's, they work with two local Virginian vineyards. Um, I'm probably forgetting a couple places else, but they're pretty great. And is this where <laughs> you were headed? Is, it, is this, Are you there because of your interest is going towards natural wines? Oh, yes. <laughs> and let's just talk about what that is, because I think it's, it's, it's where my interest is, too, but I don't think a lot of folks know are sure. totally dialed into what that is. Yeah, um, natural wines, is, it's very simple. It doesn't have a hard and fast, exactly, this is what the category is. The simple concept behind it is more of philosophy of you're doing less to create a product. Um, and what that means, of course, is no pesticides or additives. The one thing that is kind of this, met, this exception to the rule is sulfur 
can sulfites can be added, but they try to use as minimal as possible. And some producers don't use any at all. Sulfur sulfur is actually a natural produced product. I'm sorry, it naturally comes out of the winemaking process. So it's not something that is so foreign to the to the process itself. Um, sustainability, oftentimes letting undergrowth in the vineyards that help the whole holistic environment of the vineyard, like there'll be pea shoots or um, olive trees and whatnot, or just other, and they'll encourage ladybugs and butterflies and like all kinds of the environment so that it's becoming its whole community versus just stark rows of right yeah <laughs> chemical uh, inputs etc cetera, etc cetera. right exactly um what do you get uh i think one of the interesting things about natural wine is and one of the knocks on it which i think is actually one of the best things it's not as consistent right right you're not going to get that same every every year that same fruit bomb of whatever exactly it, it really requires um the health of the vineyard and it requires the passion of the winemaker and the and and being able to make sure that when you're checking in on your vines that there's not rot, but you're also keeping them healthy like you would your children. <laughs> and um, it's it's nice because it's true. Like you were mentioning, the word to my mind comes as like nonconformity, right? So there is, certainly was a trend for these, this style of wine for all like flying winemakers to go around and say, this is how you make your wine the right. best because the best is this way. Right. It needs to have this color and this amount of extraction and alcohol and fruit and add this sugar to give it this and that, which I've, I don't know, I'm just not really a fan of that anymore. And I never really was hugely to begin with. It was always a little overpowering. What's your, what's your opinion now? What's happening in Virginia with wine? Um, there's a, there's a lot in Virginia vineyards. I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak about all of Virginia since I, I have only visited a few. Um, I know that there's a little, it's still a mixed bag by far. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I could say I can give a shout out to Early Mountain and Rosemont Vineyards because I know that they use a lot of great sustainable practices and they're part of the portfolio that I help uh, uh-huh. promote as I do the social media for. I feel like, yeah, that Maryland, Virginia have just never, it's never been better. I mean, it's, okay. still, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> it's never been better. I've been watching it's and good. tasting for right, yeah. uh, also for 20 some years. And um, I remember this 93 um, Save All okay. that I had. Um, from this little vineyard called Woodhall. And it just like, and I, I was so happy with it. I was like taking it around and, you know, this was at this restaurant in Baltimore that we had. Uh, and I was like making everybody try it and say like, guess what this is? Guess where this is from? And nice. they were like, oh, you know, Rhone Valley, it's Viognier. And I was like, no, it's Maryland, save all. And, you know, it was a few years before I had another wine that, <laughs> that, that was that good. But I was so proud of the fact that we us this region was mm-hmm. capable of, of creating really delicious wine and now i think it's it's more often the case than not that it's delicious and and more mm-hmm. more common that it kind of matches up to our kind of price expectations it used to right. be tough yeah that was that was the the history right the history would be of oh wow it's a local vineyard but it wasn't didn't feel locally priced you'd find that you'd be paying the same amount if you were importing something from Europe or from Australia right which is tricky you're like <clears throat> what's local <laughs> you know? but, one of the toughest conversations and you hate yeah. to be kind of like you know kind of explaining it or just you know it's better if you can just say just try this but now there are so many wines um, we, that we have from Maryland Virginia that we're just so proud to put on the table and yeah, you know very cool not in the way that I was proud 
you know, with that, with that save all, which is like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> You're going to be shocked how good this is, but actually like, this is just, I love that feeling when you just love a wine so much and then you just need to share it because wine and food is meant for sharing and exactly. to have with other people, which is what I wanted to talk to you about next is you seem to kind of embody this, this collaborative kind of, and now you're working a lot of, a lot of your work is around kind of education and, um, and community, which, you know, is, is kind of an, to me, in, in some ways, is what this, a lot of this work is about, right? Right, exactly. And you do a lot of collaborations and... Yeah, I've been, a, a particularly as of late and more and more, um, well, the reading room was always a collaboration, um, just Paul recruiting me and then working a lot with um, our friend and colleague Dan Searing and we worked a bunch with Carly Siner, who is across the street from us now at Himitsu. Um, and then after that, uh, just getting into the wine side of things, I would recruit different... Uh, other wine professionals in the area to come and host a night with me. So the first couple, I, don't, I can't remember the first one, but I can think of a few I've done. Um, and one that's coming up is with uh, Jeff Snow from Glue Glue Wines. He's got a, his own portfolio of natural wines from France, and he's really excited about them. He's a very passionate individual. So he's coming in for my next collaboration in the reading room where he's going to select some wines from his portfolio, and I'm going to have some wines from the Williams and Corner people and it's kind of like a wine wars, and we'll just have people <laughs> come on over and try drink the wine, taste it, and then see what they like better. And um, most recently, I collaborated with. Uh, when is the uh, when is the? Oh, good question. Yeah, let's let's, uh, <laughs> let's get it out there. Right, I'm sorry. That's going to be on Thursday the 12th. So it's Thursday, July 12th, two days before Bastille Day. So we're kind of going with the Bastille Day kind of theme, all French wines, natural, um, from six to eleven in the reading room of Petworth Citizen. Uh, Last week, my last collaboration was with a local sweet eatery, Lulabelle's, um, which is partnered up with um, local small shop owner, Willow, and Each Peach down in Mount Pleasant. Uh-huh. And they have these really great ice creams, so I decided, well, we decided, oh, let's do some ice cream cocktails. So they provided the ice cream, and I made a, a menu of cocktails with, with their ice cream, and we've been promoting that together. Um, so many more. <laughs> I, I keep keep creating something new every day i'm really excited for in september i've got the author on andre darlington who um he's been on i think it was like tnt promoting their music and booze series like booze and vinyl and just had a book published and he's coming to town and we're going to make cocktails together and he's going to spin some records i'm so impressed with your ability (laughs) to connect people and 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 great beverage you know great wine great cocktails great ice cream with what you do i think that's that's really beautiful i really Cool. I'm, I'm inspired by that and it's um you know a lot of my time is spent trying to get farmers to bring me stuff but, right. <laughs> but ultimately <Right. laughs> it, it feels like it's it's in the service of you know community and and this place and um i just wonder what you think this the work that you do now is kind of it's not um specific to you're not running a bar i guess you could say right i mean the you're doing your the, the thing at the reading room but um but to me it's it feels almost just as essential, and the, the, the notion of, of kind of um, of educating, I guess, is, sounds a little dry, uh, but you're, you're expanding horizons, I guess, and I think you look at yourself as kind of expanding palettes as well. Yeah, that would be a good way to describe it, expanding palettes, getting people together, because that's the reason why these pop-ups or these events, these like one-time-off uh, collaborations happen is because someone comes to the bar, or I go to their market, or 
um, they hear about Sherry and they, I come in and I give a little talk and then, hey, let's do this and what about this and how does this day work for you and that would be great if, because once you are talking and with people and sharing ideas, you realize what you have in common and how you can, I don't know, do something and have some fun with it and then get to meet more people. <laughs> Why do you think people are so um, influenced by brands? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, there's something safe, I suppose, in feeling associated with brands. It, I love that you asked that question. It reminds me of my college days, which were a good while back, not, not forever ago, but let's say it's not recent. And uh, I, I remember the trend in drinking at the time was to have a brand, right? You wouldn't just say, oh, I would love a vodka tonic. You would say Stoli tonic. I would like a rum and Coke. No, it had to be a Bacardi Coke. And like that was just as a, a young, you know, freshman, sophomore, college person, it was like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do it. You have to say, you have to have that brand, that brand identity. I knew a lot of people who were very into shopping at Benetton or, you know, The Gap. And it was like the brand makes parts of their identity. So it's an excellent question. I, I was thinking about that recently. Um, I mean, a brand is supposed to guarantee some kind of quality. Right. It's supposed to give you... Um, some kind of a standard. Walk into a McDonald's anywhere on the planet, it'll be kind of the same. <laughs> exactly, right. So I guess it's the safety side or just the ability to know that you can have something and someone else can relate to it, I, I suppose. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, do you see your work then as kind of helping people transcend that maybe oh, yeah. attachment or that kind of reliance on, oh, I know this familiar thing? Um, I mean, I think we live in, at least as kind of a participant slash observer of this uh, of food and beverage for the last, I'm kind of like you. I want to keep the, the, the specific <laughs> the number of years a little vague, but um, it's been a while. And uh, but I, I don't think it, there's ever been a better time, you know, with the profusion of brewing and distilling, right? And um, um, and the knowledge that's out there, the knowledge that's being exchanged, and it seems like maybe the are the brands not as ascendant as they used to be, or am I just like I might be a little. I mean, it's a great optimistic. <laughs> it's it's a great topic for sure. I think uh, I do think that people are far more willing, wine wise, for sure, to try new things, particularly in the natural wine world. What's going on? It doesn't matter necessarily if someone comes in and, and they're asking about a wine they don't recognize. In many ways, it's expected that a lot of people just don't recognize the labels, particularly natural wines. Um, but some of them do, and then it also gives them comfort. Like I can think of a recent patron who was uh, looking for something, and I was like, well, I have this open, I've got this bottle, let me see what I've got back here. And he was describing he wanted like a light red, and as soon as I pulled out a label that was very popular in the natural wine community, he was like, yes, yes, that's the one, even though I don't know if he's had it before, but he recognized the label. So it's, a, I mean, it's an ongoing question. I think um, with cocktails, people, particularly bartenders, certainly do have their brands that they not only promote, but they prefer using in their drinks. But the more that local distilleries pop up and get that flowing in the market and get bartenders on board, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's a good question. I think it's, <laughs> it's familiarity. A lot, it's you know? a lot to think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do see like your, a lot of the work you do would, would help move people. And I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little obsessed with you know, the, the, the influence that brands have. And, you know, by extension, get into the whole conversation about big corporations, which right. uh, I'm not the hugest fan of. And, uh, Nor am I. <laughs> and so I think it's, and, you know, on the flip side, I'm, I'm an advocate for local sourcing and regional identity, and I think it's happening. And Definitely. And, you know, we started Woodbury with um, 
we had Hendrix and stuff behind the bar and gradually we just kind of shed all that any recognizable brand in favor of the, the ever burgeoning you know um uh range of first domestically and then kind of regionally and now like locally distilled mm-hmm. spirits yeah that's great yeah. is it i mean it, that's great if you really like the program or if, or if the person's running your bar is really into and they're passionate about those products i think there's always room for a little bit of everything particularly because um, at the end of the day, <clears throat> we do live in a country that we, <clears throat> excuse me, source from anywhere we want. Like, uh, I remember traveling in different wine countries. You can't do that. Like, you wouldn't walk into a wine store in South Africa and just freely pick up a bottle that you could get in a French bottle or an American wine versus we could walk in any wine store in this city and probably find a South African section. Um, so there is the ability to to bring in different pla- things from all over the world which is like that whole global community and let you try something from somewhere else um, but there's also it has to be balanced with what we do locally what is what is really strong here and so that we can keep the farmers and everything you know their livelihood and the fact that you know why, why put out for such frozen food from the Tajiji market when maybe there's some fresh seafood in the Chesapeake Bay area <laughs> you know, like, I think there still is are you um <laughs> Are you grabbing any of this fresh fruit that's coming out right now? The berries that we're using, that we're seeing in the farmers markets. Do you, do you use any of that in your in your drinks? Oh yeah, I always um, I always just kind of look around and see what berries there are and what they look good. And I've been using a lot of um, uh, strawberries and blackberries and blueberries. I've been mainly. What else have you been seeing? <laughs> oh, I got black raspberries this week that black were just nice. uh, okay. just otherworldly, um, and the, the good news this year is um, despite the kind of the long wet may that we had um yeah it's going to be a great year for fruit everybody's saying <laughs> that everything is set right there were no late frosts um nothing untoward um and i shouldn't even be saying this out loud because god knows we'll get <laughs> 17 inches of rain tomorrow or something but all the growers i, I talked to dave reed um on sunday and he's really optimistic and if i would say if dave reed from reed's or- orchard is optimistic then we can all be optimistic that's good that's great i love fruit what these farmers go through, and especially orchards in our region, um, mm-hmm. it, it always makes me uh, glad to be in the restaurant business. <laughs> it's one of the few things that does, because they really fight some, some really big uh, battles, um, depending on what's going on. But um, it's oh, so worth it. Oh, to be a farmer, I, oh, God. I, I don't have that experience, <laughs> but I do recognize that at the end of the day, um, making wine, growing vineyards is farming. Absolutely. And it's all hard work. <laughs> it know? is. And... It's I get the weirdest question I get asked is like, oh, you're gonna start your own farm, and I'm like, no, it's the hardest thing to do. The farmers that I know know more about stuff that I will never have any idea about science and you know, soil biology and 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 everything. And I'm just like, no, I'm not starting my own farm. Plus, you know, I can't. Anyway, um, (laughs) I completely understand. Yeah. Plus, it is a community for me, and like my role, I know my place in a way mm-hmm. I like to be in the kitchen I like to be in a restaurant and I love that the farm growers are out there doing what they do and hopefully we're supporting them as much as we possibly can yeah and engaging with everyone all the time <laughs> never ends so what's next um what's next what's next from apart from my next wine collaboration from my next book I'm reading um I've got I've, I joined a book club and we had our first author visit that was exciting which was Oh, that was when I was reading Girls Burn Brighter um, by Shoba Rao, and she came to visit two weeks ago. 
and there's a these these two ladies they run these two separate Instagram accounts promoting books particularly by women of color so I read one book that they choose a month um, just to keep it going because sometimes it's easy to get lost in reading the same kind of voice or find myself going back to the classics and it's a lot of um, white male authors which no offense to anyone but it's nice to keep it diverse <laughs> you know, get a different perspective so they're pretty great speaking of books but a little less literary is there a cocktail book that you find yourself oh. <laughs> uh, inspired by or uh... oh so many there's a couple new ones that came out which are pretty exciting um, I know that Drew Laser just put published his book um, about low ABV cocktails and that um, Misty Hofkin and Kristen Naman, they have a, a book published, um, cocktail book about women and their stories and their um, inspirations into like history. Those are great. I, I'm always going through the cocktail books, all the old ones, be it the Savoy in London um, the Waldorf Astoria, through the many different iterations of Trader Vic's to um, Bootsby's. To, I have like a really very large library of just old cocktail books. And they're not in any kind of amazing. I can. They're not like worth millions of dollars. They're just more like a <laughs> couple copies of this, one a copy of that. And I, I page mark. I definitely have gone through all of them and found all the sherry cocktails. That's one of the things I was really excited about doing at one point. So it's, it's always research-based. Um, all the menus do come off of drinks that I've made before or drinks that have some kind of history or just pure inspiration that makes sense of flavors that go together. Is there some way that you define a great cocktail? Is there a way to do that? Oh, my gosh. That's your- a good question. I mean, I think it's so much of a moment thing. Uh, there's a way to say a great cocktail stands the test of the time, right? Like the king of cocktails, the ultimate martini, or... Standing the test of time is that I mean the martini. So what, why is a martini down. so good? Why is a great martini as great as it is? Uh, yeah, great question. I mean, just the compatibility of the aromatics, the fact that it cools you down, it chills you out, vermouth and gin together, or if, if vodka is your preference, but the botanicals that you have in the spirits and how to get married with a little bit of bitters and just a little bit of citrus oil, and you can sip it, and it kind of just it. Each product carries its own stories, and you taste everything if you sip it slowly enough, and it cools you down. And there's also the fact that there's so much storied imagery in our own heads about the martini. There's so much cultural history there, be it in pop culture and in, in literature. Um, it's it's just I don't know. The first time I ever had a martini, I was not a fan, and it was something I grew to like. Which of all alcohol actually is it's always been that way. Like. Did you like the first alcoholic drink you ever had? Do you uh, remember? <laughs> vaguely, but I guess that's kind of part of it. <laughs> it's just this ultimate cocktail that you sort of develop a taste for. And then once you develop that taste for it, you kind of realize, wow, this is this its own category. I think, but what is, the, what is a good cocktail at a given time is whatever seasonality, whatever feels fresh, what's in your glass, what, um, you know, chills, is chilled, is easy to drink isn't going to burn your mouth out or why why are sherry cocktails so good i know this is your kind of this is your (laughs) this is your wheelhouse sherry cocktails i love talking about sherry because sherry is like ultimate host it kind of goes with everything you can mix a cocktail with sherry with rum with gin with tequila with mezcal with scotch with all manner of whiskey and other ingredients too like amaros and vermouths it just somehow sherry will work with everything and as you know from being a chef Sherry is great with food. And there's just so much about it being this consummate, ultimate host of, of beverages that it gets along and plays along with everybody. 
So when I come up with new recipes or when I find old ones that I haven't tried before or using different vermouths or different styles of sherries, it's always exciting because there's endless possibilities. So, so sherry is kind of like the Chantal Seng of, of wine. Is that fair? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's fair. It's a connector. <laughs> it connects everything. Oh, okay. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I'll take it as a compliment. Uh, it is. <laughs> it's meant to be. <laughs> cool. And I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I think what I'm going to do is come see you at, at the reading room. That would and, be great. And, uh, <laughs> Check out your events because they sound awesome. And I really, really, really appreciate you sitting down with me and talking about this stuff. I feel like I know uh, uh, a lot more about D.C. now. You know, <laughs> I'm still getting my bearings here and, um, and hope to see you soon. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Origins uh, Broadcasting from the Line Hotel here in Adams Morgan. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.